hidden in the old and revealed in the new. That's right. We're talking about the Trinity in the Old Testament. Stick around. Let's talk about it. Houston, we have a problem. Habemos papan. Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas, it's the Catholic Hack with Joe McClain. Take this, all of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink from it. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of Welcome back to the Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean, and this is episode number 68. It's been... I don't know, five or six weeks or so since my last podcast. And many of you have been asking me, hey, buddy, where'd you go? Hello, the podcast is supposed to be done on a regular basis. I know, I know. We're going to talk more about that today. This show should be a pretty good show. I think you're going to enjoy this a lot. We've got a lot lined up for you. We're going to talk about, you know, where I've been for the past month, about the Dallas-Fort Worth Conference, about Hurricane Ike. But we're also going to roll up our sleeves and talk about a topic that I've been wanting to cover that I've tried to cover through a t-shirt giveaway, but wasn't really successful. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to share some feedback. But before we do all of that, Let's open in a prayer, as is our custom on this podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we praise your name. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray and ask that you'll descend upon us, each and every one of us, that you will guide us and protect us. And I ask specifically for the blood of Christ to cover us all those who listen to this podcast and cover their families as well, that you heal the sick, that you convert and bring home the blind, those who are spiritually blind, that you guide them home, that you use your faithful and you encourage them and you inspire them to do your will in this world. We pray for strength to overcome our weaknesses and our faults that we get up from falling down and continue down this path, this walk with you, our Lord. Father, have mercy on us all. Grant us this grace that we need, this grace of forgiveness and mercy. Teach us to show mercy that we might receive it. Teach us to be charitable that we might receive charity. Teach us to love that we might know love. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray for all those who were hurt, who were devastated by the recent hurricane, this Hurricane Ike down here in Houston, as well as Gustav and all the so many other tragedies and natural disasters that occur every single day in this world. God, have mercy on us, especially those who suffer most. May your love descend upon them. May they be filled with an extraordinary peace that surpasses all understanding, that they might glorify your name in the midst of the storm. 
teach us patience through this time, especially those of us who are still enduring the effects of this hurricane. Help us to be patient and kind. Heavenly Father, descend upon us the whole the Holy Spirit and give us the knowledge that will glorify your name, that we can be built up in the faith, that we can go out and defend this faith, but more than defend, that we can go out and convert the world with the beauty and truth and depth that you have given us in this beautiful Catholic church, the church that you founded upon the rock. Teach us to live it, to love it, and to defend it. We seek this in all your mercy, your glory. We pray for the intercession of our Blessed Lady and all the angels and the saints, we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, well, let's get started. Let's kick this show off by breaking bread with Dr. Scott Hahn once again. When Jesus teaches, we are invited to ponder the unfathomable ways of God's justice and mercy. But these teachings are here for us only if we humble ourselves. But how do we do it? Find out next on Breaking the Bread. Echoing the complaint heard in last Sunday's readings, our first reading again presents a protest that God isn't fair. Why does he punish with death one who begins in virtue but ends up falling into iniquity while granting life to the wicked one who turns away from sin? Jesus takes up the question in the parable in this Sunday's Gospel. The first son represents the most serious sinners of Jesus' day, tax collectors and prostitutes, who by their sin at first refused to serve the Lord in his vineyard, the kingdom. At the preaching of John the Baptist, however, they repented and did what is right and just. The second son represents the leaders of Israel, who said that they would serve God in the vineyard, but then refused to believe John when he told them that they too must repent and produce good fruits as evidence of their repentance. Once again, this week's readings invite us to ponder the unfathomable ways of God's justice and mercy. He teaches his ways only to the humble as we sing in this Sunday's psalm. And in the epistle, Paul presents Jesus as the model of that humility by which we come to know life's true path. Paul sings a beautiful hymn to the Incarnation. Unlike Adam, the first man, who in his pride grasped at being God, the new Adam, Jesus, humbled himself to become a slave, obedient even unto death on the cross. In this he has shown sinners, each and every one of us, the way back to the Father. We can only come to God to serve in his vineyard, the church, by having that same attitude as Christ. This is what Israel's leaders lacked. In their pride and vainglory, they presumed their superiority, that they had no further need to hear God's word or God's servants. But this ends up being the way to death. As God tells Ezekiel, we should always be emptying ourselves, seeking forgiveness for our sins and frailties, confessing on bended knee that God alone is Lord, to the glory of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is Scott Hahn for Breaking the Bread. Breaking the Bread is a production of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. If you'd like to receive written copies of Dr. Hahn's reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, you can contact us by email at staff at salvationhistory.com or call us at 740 
740-264-9535. That's 740-264-9535. I can't wait to roll up our sleeves on this one. This is a topic that I find just so juicy and meaty that I got so excited that I thought what I would do was I would try to get you guys to dive deep and and find this nugget out there. And in exchange for that, I would give you a free T-shirt. And some of you actually tried, but maybe I wasn't descriptive enough or maybe I didn't leave enough clues, but we just couldn't get there. So I thought, well, let's make it a topic and let's just go into it. And 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 better than me explaining this, I'm going to share with you some audio clips of some of the masters explaining this topic. And I think you're going to find that that's going to be much better than, than me talking about it. But I do want to add a couple of points and we're going to get into it right now. We're talking about what's hidden in the old and revealed in the new. So let's roll up our sleeves and let's dive deep. And let's get into the truth about the Trinity in the Old Testament. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! This school when I sit, even just a little bit, I get hit with the power that made the veil in the temple split. When I submit, fall on the floor and the door. Can't get enough, got to come back for some more. Hey, we've got a problem here. Sinner, every woman in the can benefit in this school. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Who said that? Do you know? That was St. Paul. He says that in places like 2 Corinthians 13.13. And although he never uses the word Trinity, he's quite clearly laying out the fact that there is a, a Trinity, a Trinity of persons, that there is one God, three distinct divine persons that make up that one God. And he says it like it's so matter-of-fact, like it's just so given. Like, you know, I don't even have to explain it because you already know. You know, it, that's, that's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about Trinity in the New Testament. And, you know, even though we can debate people like the Jehovah's Witnesses and, and Mormons and others, when we talk about these issues, we tend to refer to the New Testament. We might even quote early church fathers, you know, on what they thought. And it's quite clear when you weigh the body of evidence that the early Christians, the Catholic Church in the first, second, third century, believed in a trinity of persons. This is clear. When you're looking at, at the New Testament, the early church fathers, etc., etc., it becomes very clear. But what we often don't do is we often don't look back at the Old Testament. Because you see, the beauty of the Bible is that the Old Testament is where the foundations were laid. That's where the nuggets were first put out there for consumption. And you have to go back there and you have to 
get those things. See, St. Paul himself, he quotes from the Old Testament, you know, all the time. Why? Because this is the Pharisee of Pharisees. He trained under under the Rabbi Gamaliel. This was the like the rock star of rabbis at the time. And so he was like a, a star pupil. And so he would have known the Old Testament like it was a his first primary language. And so he quotes from the Old Testament all the time. And we're going to we're going to show how that is so critical right now. But there so we can go back to the Old Testament and we can look for the nuggets of the Trinity. Now, there's the obvious ones, the ones that you probably even think about off the top of your head, like in Genesis chapter one, you know, when when God is used in a plural form or Genesis chapter three or chapter two, come, let us make man in our image. You know, these are obvious things, but here's the key. Maybe you don't know this. The common form, the common words that used to for, for God in the Old Testament were Adonai and Elohim. Both are plural forms. And these are the words used for the vast majority of times. So God is referred to in the plural the vast majority of occasions in the Old Testament with Adonai or Elohim. That's fascinating in my opinion. But that's not what I'm after here. You see, the contest that I put out there was, show me the Trinity, not only just in the Old Testament, but show it to me specifically as it relates to the tabernacle or the temple. Now that's where it gets juicy. Because remember, when we're studying scripture, we're looking for the types, the typology, the parallels. Just like Solomon was a type of Christ in his wisdom. Jesus himself says in the Gospels, that, you know, the, the queen came to see this one who was world-renowned for his wisdom, but one is here before you who is wiser than that. You know, David was a, a type of Christ, but he wasn't Christ. He was the imperfect shadow of what was to come, the perfect, the real. Jesus was the real. David was the type. He was the shadow. Moses was a type of Christ. Abraham a type of Christ. Adam, a type of Christ. Mary, what was her foretype, her prototype? The Ark of the Covenant was a type of Mary. Eve is a type of Mary. So these are clues as to how we go about studying Scripture and reading Scripture. So without me rambling on for another 20 minutes, let's just get to the heart of what I'm talking about here. In the Old Testament, specifically, there are two things that I really want you to focus on. That's the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses. You see, Moses took the people out of Israel, or out of Egypt, rather, and he went into the desert, and there he received the law of God on Mount Sinai. And immediately after that, God begins to tell him how he is to be worshipped and starts to give him instructions on the mountain about implementing the tabernacle, creating the Ark of the Covenant, creating all the utensils, all the furniture, all the, you know, everything that went in to the, the tabernacle where God's presence would be known. And you can find this in Exodus chapter 25. It gets into all of this. But we also, there's some very key things here that I want you to focus in on. Three elements that are just so critical when you're when you're reading about the creation of the tabernacle. There's the Ark of the Covenant. What is that? What was it for? What was it considered in the eyes of the Jews? There's the 
menorah. What was that? What did it symbolize? Then there's the bread of the presence. And to describe this in a little better detail and certainly a lot more levity than I can do, I'm going to let you hear this from Dr. Brant Petrie, who in a lecture he gave last year at a Fullness of Truth conference in, in Houston, Texas, he gets into this point all, all but briefly, but still, you'll get my point here. So check it out. Uh, the third one is the new bread of the presence. The Eucharist is the new bread of the presence. How many of you have heard of the bread of the presence? Oh, good. Not too many. Um, well, actually, actually, not good. That's actually bad. But uh, it's good for me because then it might make you more interested in the talk. So um, the bread of the presence is sometimes little known. It was, of course, part of the Exodus. So let's look at that. In the worship of God, the, remember I said the first Exodus was focused on what? The tabernacle, that portable tent of Israel in the desert where they traveled uh, and then worshiped God, offered sacrifice and things like that. It is not always known, but it is true that the Bible talks about the fact that in the Old Testament there was another kind of bread in the tabernacle, which was called the bread of the presence. This is commonly mistranslated, and I think this is one of the reasons people aren't familiar with it, as the showbread, the showbread. And I don't know why they translate it that way. It has nothing to do with Broadway or anything like that, you know, or movies or Hollywood. Uh, I, no, it, it's because it's the bread that is exposed. It's shown. It's placed before the face of God. And in the Old Testament, you can find out about the bread of the presence in Exodus chapter 25. That's the first reference to it. After God takes the Israelites up the mountain of Sinai to give them the Ten Commandments, the very first thing he begins to do after the Ten Commandments is teach them how he wants to be worshipped. And so he gives Moses instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And he instructs Moses to do certain things. If you turn to the last page, he actually, the first thing Moses is instructed to build are three key pieces of sacred furniture, so to speak, that would go in the tabernacle. Three key things. They are, number one, the Ark of the Covenant. Number two, the golden lampstand. Everyone knows what the golden lampstand is. It looks like a Jewish menorah, but it had seven seven candle sticks that were on this uh, candelabra. So he had to make the golden lampstand. And then the third thing that Moses was instructed to make was the golden table on which would rest the bread of the presence. The bread of the presence. Okay. So we've got the Ark of the Covenant, the menorah, and then the bread of the presence. Does this ring a bell with any of you Catholics? Three key symbols for God. Three symbols for the presence of God. Three. 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 Can you think of any connections here, people? The Ark of the Covenant, the throne of the invisible God, the Father. The golden menorah, seven candles with seven tongues of fire on it. What might that represent? The Spirit. And then the third one, the bread of the presence. Who's the presence of God in the world? The Son, right? So this is like the Trinity hidden in the ancient tabernacle of Moses. Pretty cool. Or maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. Anyway, okay. You see it? God was revealing himself all 
along the way. And, you know, I can't remember. I think it was either John Martinoni or Patrick Madrid. But a couple of years ago, I heard this analogy used for the faith. And I think they used it in in defense of the Catholic Church and the way it reveals dogma over time. You know, and some evangelicals were like, oh, how come there was no uh, infallible papal doctrine you know, in the first century? That kind of thing. And, but I think it applies beautifully to this point and how we can sort of envision the the early Israelites, these these wanderers in the desert, given the revealed truth, but sort of like a like you would give milk to a baby. You wouldn't give a steak to a baby. You give them milk. You're still giving them food, but you got to give it to them where they can digest it. So here was the analogy that that was used. I think is perfect for this. You're sitting in a dark room, completely pitch black. You can't see one inch in front of your nose. And then all of a sudden, the lights start to just come up, just just a hair. And now you can see maybe six inches in front of your nose. And then they bring the, the lights up just a little more. Now you can see a foot. But, you know, you might be able to just barely make out an object that's in front of you a little bit, but you really can't sort of make out completely its shape or what it's all about, but it's there. You just really can't see it very well. But then the lights come up just a a little more and okay, now that really kind of looks like a, a chair. Okay. Now lights come a little more. Okay. There's a chair. Now I see a little bit of a, a table next to that, you know, and the lights come up more and more and more over time. All of a sudden you realize you were in a room full of furniture the entire time. Now, let me ask you a question. When it was pitch black, was the furniture not there? No, the furniture was there all along. You just couldn't see it. It just wasn't revealed to you yet. It wasn't It wasn't because it, you didn't perceive it that it didn't exist. It always existed whether you perceived, perceived it or not. It's true. You're just now aware of it. And that's, I think, kind of what's going on here, that we see God in his infinite wisdom laying the, the, the foundations, dropping the seeds, revealing those nuggets in the Old Testament of his beautiful truth that would come to fruition, that would be revealed more and more slowly over time as we become more mature in our faith, in our relationship to God, that we can digest more advanced things. Jesus himself says, how can I speak to you of heavenly things when you can't handle it? I have to speak to you of things you can understand. And that's why I love this particular nugget that the Trinity was hidden there in the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses and the Israelites wandering through the desert, that God came to meet them there. And you know, that is so... It's just so deep. In verse 22 of Exodus 25, he says exactly that. I will meet you there. So if God is a trinity of persons from all time, there was never a time when he wasn't a trinity of persons. Then when he says in verse 22 of Exodus 25, there I will meet you. Well, that's what he means, that the trinity is there. And so that's why it's so wonderful that we see there the the Ark of the Covenant, the menorah, and the bread of the presence. What a Eucharistic foretype that is. Twelve cakes of bread, unleavened cakes, sitting on this golden table. Guess who gets to eat these? The priests, who have to set it out perpetually before the face of God. 
the face, the bread of the face of God. Guess what's also out there? A candle perpetually lit to signify the presence of God. Huh. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? We see that all the time in our Catholic, you know, churches or sanctuaries with a candle lit to signify the presence of God, truly present there in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, just like it was in the the tabernacle in the wilderness with Moses and the Israelites thousands of years ago. Now, God doesn't claim to be body, blood, soul, and divinity in the bread of the presence in the tabernacle, but that bread sat before the face of God perpetually. Now, we also read how when Moses went and conversed with God, his face began to glow so much that it scared the people, the Israelites, and they made him cover his face with a veil because they were scared of him. Now, how much more, if that's true of Moses' face, how much more than the bread that's perpetually there before the face of God, the bread of the presence, the bread that only the priests could eat, the bread that David would one day eat because he was a king priest after the order of Melchizedek. How wonderful that is. How truly deep. And we can just dive on that for, oh, can't say enough. But, you know, we got to go forward. We got to move forward. First Kings chapters five through nine. We see Solomon building a house of prayer for the Lord, a master builder constructing a beautiful temple using all kinds of precious metals, gold, silver, bronze, precious gemstones, and wood, hay, and stubble. What does all this mean? This all points us not to earthly things. All of this was done. God was laying all of this, not for earthly purposes, but to point us to the true temple, the temple in heaven. True worship of God in heaven, not on earth. This earthly temple, this earthly tabernacle, is the shadow. It's the type. The real thing is in heaven. So we have to understand that this, that we were given this tabernacle, this temple that Solomon is building, is pointing us to heaven and what really goes on up there. But the cool thing is that all these things are the pointers of what we can expect. You know, that's what's cool, I think. And to help us understand this in a much clearer way than I'm capable of. How about Dr. Scott Hahn? Check it out. In 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, Paul states, For we are God's fellow workers. Literally in the Greek, it's soon ergoi. It is God's co-workers. It's a strange word because you, you don't typically think of God as needing assistance. You know, like a pilot might get tired, so he needs a co-pilot. But God doesn't grow weary, so why does he need co-workers? Well, Paul goes on to explain that the work of God is a fatherly work and it means raising his sons and daughters. And a good father doesn't spoil his kids, but he empowers them to enter into the tasks that the father is performing. And so through the son and by the spirit, we are empowered to become God's co-workers. Sunergoi, where we get the word synergism, synergy. Salvation is not a unilateral act on God's part. He is a father. It is a synergistic act whereby he raises us up and he fills us up with the spirit of his son so that we can be co-workers, co-laborers. And it goes on to describe how we are also God's building. That's a kind of interesting image. What kind of building? Like a gymnasium? A capital building? 
No, we're going to see it's a very sacred building, a temple. In verse 10, Paul tells them, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, God's co-worker, I laid a foundation and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, and that is Christ Jesus. So if anyone builds on that foundation, so here is the church as a building, and the foundation is Christ, and other people are now building upon it, and Paul is warning them, you be careful what you build upon the foundation that I've laid in the gospel of Christ. Verse, we go on to see in verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become manifest. Now, I want to propose to you that what Paul is describing is a building that is sacred called a temple. We're going to see it explicitly stated there in verses 16 and 17. But he's building up to that. Because any Jew would know that in the Jerusalem temple, there was gold, silver, and precious stones. And where was all of that located? In the Holy of Holies, where everything was gold. And in the holy place where you had silver. And the high priest would wear the breastplate which had 12 precious stones for the 12 tribes of Israel to remind God's people of how precious they are in the eyes of the Lord. And so as you enter through the holy place into the holy of holies, you have the precious stones, you pass through the silver and into the gold. But you also have in a temple, what else? Wood, hay, and straw. Why? Because before you ever get to the holy place of the holy of holies, there's a big altar of sacrifice. And what is there? It's a fire that's burning. And what, does it get, what gets it started? A little bit of straw, along with wood and stubble. And so those people who are far from God's holy presence are like those who are in the outer court, preparing the wood, hay, and straw for the animal sacrifice. Whereas the priests who enter into the very intimate presence of God do so with gold, silver, and precious stones. But Paul isn't talking about a physical temple on earth. He's talking about the spiritual temple in heaven that we're a part of. And he makes that clear because he goes on to say that it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each man has done. So the day will disclose it, the day of judgment. What will it disclose? How pure and holy our good works are or not. And it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So the fire will purify the gold but consume the wood, hay, and straw. So if the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But look at verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Oh, he must be destined for hell. No. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Interesting. Because in ancient Judaism, just as in modern Judaism, all Jews have always prayed for their dead. But as rabbis point out, if they're in heaven, they don't need our prayers, and if they're in hell, they won't do them any good. So where are they? In the Hebrew, the place was called Sheol. In the Greek, it was called Hades, not to be confused with Gehenna, which is the fiery hell. And then since this place is a place of purgation and refinement and purification, what did it become in Latin? Purgatorio, the place of purging. And what is it that purges us? The fire of God's holy love that purifies the gold, silver, and precious stones 
but burns up the counterfeit good works that we do. How cool is that? You see what I'm saying? It's everything is pointing us towards heaven. And St. Paul knew that. That's why he draws these images from the Old Testament temple, from King Solomon's temple. And he uses them to show their true purpose, their true fulfillment. They were just, they were just foreshadowing. See, the Israelites weren't ready to eat meat yet. They were still drinking the milk like babes. And things were still dark and they were being revealed and the light was coming on more and more. And just as the high priest enters the temple, once a year he goes into the Holy of Holies. One time a year the high priest goes in. Guess what's on his, his chest? He's got a chest plate of precious stones. He's passing through the silver and the bronze. Gets into the Holy of Holies. That's pure gold. Imagine the brilliance of this with the candelabra and the seven tongues of fire and the bread of the presence laid out on a pure gold table with flagons, little flagons. What a flagons is, right? It's like a drinking vessel with wine in them, red and wine before the very face of God. And one time a year, he passes through all of this to go into the Holy of Holies. There, the Ark of the Covenant, the seat of the invisible God. There, he meets him. And there we see the Trinity hidden there the whole time. There, right before our eyes, hidden there, but revealed in the new. As St. Paul brings it all out, we pass through the, the fire in the front of the temple, that where the, the altar was, where they made all the sacrifices. We pass all that and we go further into the Holy of Holies, which now Jesus is. We've gone from the old the temple, which is the shadow, to the fulfillment of that Old Testament type, which is Jesus Christ. He is the temple. That's why he said, tear this temple down and in three days I shall raise it up, speaking of his body, as we are told in the Gospels. How wonderful and how powerful that is. And I just love those images. And Scott Hahn does a wonderful job of showing us how St. Paul is using this Old Testament typology to talk about something much greater, the purging fires of God's love, purging us of our sinfulness, purifying us, preparing us for what? To live in his presence for all eternity. To get rid of all the uncleanness, all the little dings and scrapes, all the impurities, the refiner's fire. Well, how wonderful this image is, isn't it? So I really want you to go back. I want you to study Exodus chapter 25. You can also study Leviticus uh, 24, 5 and see more of the bread of the presence. And there you'll see about the 12 unleavened cakes, the, the how they're set perpetually before the Lord and and, uh, and what they were intended for. And they're, it's meant as a covenant. And the word covenant is actually used in regards to these 12 unleavened cakes of bread, the bread of the presence. So that's Leviticus 24, 5. Exodus 25, you'll see all how God commanded Moses to, to create all of these implements. And then go on to read 1 Kings 5 through 9 and see how Solomon put together this, this temple, this house for prayer for God in such a wonderful and magnificent way and look and try to dive deep and see all the symbology that was going into this building. It was truly amazing. It's truly meant to point us to one place only and that's to heaven. 
And you know, Scott Hahn in his book, A Father Who Keeps His Promises, chapter 2, around page 53 there, you can see how he points out to the Israelites, they saw all of creation as a cosmic temple. And and the temple, the King Solomon's temple, is sort of a, a macro or a micro version of the macro. And so I want you to check that out. A Father Who Keeps His Promises. I I can never tout that book enough. But see, you see what I mean? There's just so much meat here. And to me, I, I don't know if you get excited as excited as I do about these things. But when I come across them, I really just, it's like the flavor. It's the salt and the pepper. It gets the juices flowing. But I think that's enough for this particular topic. I'd love to hear your feedback on this topic. So uh, please give me a call at 713-568-6277 and leave your voicemail about this today. News and views. Where are you now? I'm sitting in my office. I doubt that. Why would you doubt that? If you were in your office right now, we'd be having this conversation face to face. Hi, Joe. This is Johannes from Munich, Germany speaking. I listened to your episode number 67, Free at Last, and I was really impressed by your testimony. And it's really fantastic what you said and very encouraging for me. I also have an answer for your question for the Chris in Genesis uh, chapter 18. Um, I think this is where the Trinity appears in the Old Testament, where um, well, I just read it. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Well, here Abraham has an encounter with God and um, he appears to him as three men. So I think this is where the Trinity appears in the Old Testament. Well, however, I really like your podcast. It's one of my favorites. And thank you for all you do. And may God bless you and your family richly. Goodbye. Johannes, thank you so much for sending in that feedback. You know, I'm almost embarrassed. I think you sent that in like a month ago and I haven't even used it. And we're going to talk about why that is, but I just wanted to apologize right up front to say, I'm so sorry. You know, usually I try to be much better about getting back to people and using their material, but lately it seems the last six months, that's been really hard for me. So please pray for me in that regard, but thank you so much for the feedback. You know, um, that wasn't really the reference and we just talked about that, but that's an intriguing one. You know, I've never really heard anybody you know, sort of claim or even talk about how the three could have been a reference to the Trinity. It is referred to a theophany, the presence of God or Christ in the Old Testament. However, 
Um, but the other two, I think, are traditionally regarded as angels. But you bring up a great point. I think I want to dive deep on that, too, and just sort of see if there's anybody out there in the Catholic world who's a legitimate scholar who, who who's seen this also as uh, the Trinity appearing. That's, that's a wonderful wonderful thing to do and you know what for your effort i would love to send you a catholic hack t-shirt so please do me a favor send me another voicemail or email me or i'll email you give me your 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 address and i'm going to make sure you get a catholic hack t-shirt but you know what i want a picture everybody who gets a catholic hack t-shirt doesn't send me any pictures i don't know why that is but i want a picture this time especially one from germany you know, I used to live in Germany. I lived out in Stuttgart. My father was in the army. Loved Germany. Germany is a wonderful country, beautiful place. And so I uh, really miss Germany quite a bit. And uh, thank you so much for your feedback. Hey, uh, Joe, this is Pablo again. Um, last time I spoke, it was, I think, back in May or something like that about wanting to get podcast, and right now it's uh, September 18th. I know uh, you guys have gone through uh, some horrendous stuff over there, and uh, you and your family and everybody around there are in my prayers, and I uh, hope everything's going okay. I haven't really looked at the news lately, and uh, last time I looked on your blog, you said that you guys are still without power. Um, I've been hearing some of your podcasts, and I know it's late, and um, just not getting around to uh, listening to these podcasts like 53, 54 with Kimberly uh, Hahn. And um, I, I believe uh, the next one was um, something about You're the Man or uh, episode 56, I believe. And um, The Man is You. That's the one. Um, and these last couple of uh, podcasts, uh, your prayers at the beginning of the uh, of these podcasts, they have been very, uh, very helpful, very powerful to me. As as I heard you just pray, it was just it, it was just so touching. And I was thinking of that back when I started hearing these podcasts, and I'm like, wow! Every time you pray, it's it's just it moves something in you, and I really do appreciate it. Um, and I know you had said. You know, for us to call and leave messages, and uh, for you know your your one annual, you know the one year podcast, and um, and, and uh, I'm sorry I missed it. I'm totally late, and I'm so sorry. But uh, I'm glad I was able. I'm able to listen to it. I haven't gotten to that episode yet, but uh, I just wanted to tell you that um, I really do appreciate everything you do. Um, it's really. Your prayers and, and your podcast have lifted me up sometimes when I'm feeling down, and it's just very inspiring. So thank you so much, Joe, and uh, you know, may God bless you and and keep you going and and your ministry and even in your work. I everything's going well for you. So uh, God bless and um, thanks a lot again. Bye. God bless. Pablo, thank you once again for the feedback. I, if I remember correctly. You're a truck driver, right? You know, man, God bless you. You know, especially right now during this after effects of Hurricane Ike down here in Houston. You know, it's these truck drivers that were keeping us alive, making sure that these loads are coming in, 
bringing all the goods that we really needed to survive day to day. You know, stuff like ice and water and food, perishable foods especially, you know, that disappeared overnight down here. You know, it was a madhouse. I don't want to get into it just yet. We'll talk about that in a minute. I still have some more feedback to share. But Pablo, thank you so much for your feedback. It really does encourage me. You know, it's funny. when When I pray, when I listen to myself pray, it always sounds weird and awkward. And I'm always sort of embarrassed by it. But you know what? I think a lot of people have let me know that they appreciate the free form, the, you know, trying to pray from your heart. You know, I like to mix it up between praying from my heart and praying from the heart of the church, you know, standard prayers, because I think it's a, it's a good mix. And I personally can't come up with the eloquence of some of these the standard prayers. But uh, so that's why I like to mix the two. So I really appreciate the fact that you're you're finding some value in that. And uh, that really does encourage me to sort of keep going. So thank you so much for that. But yeah, you know, it's OK that you didn't get uh, the feedback in for the one year show. You'll get to hear it. There was a lot of folks who did. And that was such a real blessing to me personally. Uh, it really did encourage me to also to keep going. So thank you once again, Pablo, for all your, your support, for your prayers, and for your continued uh, effort listening to the show. Sometimes it's hard, I'm sure, especially now that, you know, we're 45 minutes into this episode and we still got material to, to share. But, I you know, there is another piece of feedback that I received just today, actually, that really sort of touched my heart as well, and I thought I would share that with you. It comes from a, a listener whose name is Pepe, and Pepe is a new listener to the podcast. So any of you who are new to the show, God bless you. Thank you for listening, checking us out. But Pepe says, I went to daily mass yesterday. During consecration, I started thinking about whether or not Jesus really loves us. Earlier in the day, I heard Busted Halo cast number 167, and they talked about no matter what we do, God loves us. And we can't think that God has human qualities in the sense that as a human, we can only take so much from someone before we say enough. God never gets to the point that he gets fed up with us. As I walked to receive the Eucharist, some old ladies in their wonderful old out-of-tune voices started singing Pescador de Hombres in Spanish. Right as I was next to receive the host, there was a line in that song that says, Sonorindo has dicho mi nombre. Translated means, smiling, you have said my name. Obviously, I cannot speak Spanish. My apology for really brutalizing that text. Pepe goes on to say, I sat in my pew digesting Jesus, and that line was running over and over in my head, and tears started to swell up in my eyes, and I started to get the warm and fuzzies. The priest was confessing after Mass, so I took advantage and went up to him. We talked for a minute, and I asked him if it was true that Jesus smiles when he says my name. He looked me back in the eyes and said, Of course. I teared up again, received my absolution and thanked Jesus and went home. I listened to the daily breakfast. Don't ask me why I heard that podcast, but I did. Maybe because Busted Halo mentioned it on their podcast and it stuck in my head. In that episode, he mentioned the Catholic Hack as a good podcast, so I downloaded it to my Zoom and went to work. I just heard the Rosary Army interviews, the first of many podcasts of the Catholic Hack I will be downloading. You were talking about praying boldly and following God's will, and don't be afraid to ask Him boldly for something. I started to tear up again. Yes, I know I'm a crier, but by the end of the day, I'll probably cry about something else. (laughs) No worries about that. 
I cry all the time myself. It's all right. We're all right. For the first time in my life, Pepe says, if not a very, very, very long time, I felt like it was okay to pray to God. Not so much like a poor peasant walking up to the throne of the king, but rather like a son walking up to his father and mother and asking them for something. It feels great, he says. Thank you for the podcast, for your witness to the faith, and like you, I'm a huge Han groupie. All I can say is thanks and count me as a fan, a listener, and maybe one day a friend. God bless my friend Pepe. Well, Pepe, thank you so much for taking the time to write this email. I really do appreciate that. I can never tire from hearing people you know, who, who tell me when they take the time to approach God as their father. And they ask him, they pray boldly for that sign that shores up their faith, how intimate they feel with God in heaven. Oh, there's another story. There's another example of another listener who actually did this same thing. And, oh, I'll have to share it with you next time because I'm really drawing to a close here and I really need to, to wrap the show up. But what a gift we have in this faith. What a gift we have in our Father who has revealed to us throughout all of salvation history, his beautiful truth. And although we don't have a full understanding, we can thank God for faith because we don't have a complete understanding yet. What a gift we have. So praise God and amen for that. Well, as I have already mentioned several times, we have been affected by this hurricane, Hurricane Ike, that's hit, hit me now 12 days ago. And, you know, I'm not I'm not one to really get scared of weather. And I really wasn't scared this time. But I stayed up all night during that storm. I mean, those trees were dancing. And I was so surprised when a tree didn't fall in the house. We had many, many, many huge trees clobber the houses all around us. But God blessed us and kept us safe during that storm. Now, the next day, when the rains wouldn't stop, we came Oh, so close to flooding. And that was a, a kind of a, a tense moment. We had about 15 feet of water behind us. We had about two and a half feet in the street that we're on. And the pool at the house was about half an inch to going over its edge. So we were very nervous. We thought for sure this uh, was going to flood. In fact, the house that we were staying in is flooded three times in previous storms. So we were pretty blessed when God receded the waters and we stayed dry for the most part but the real challenge has been the lack of power for the last 12 days i mean i should probably take my own advice and use this as an opportunity to offer this up but i gotta tell you i have been a, a grump you know a grumpy old guy during this whole thing just frustrated mostly you know you can't wash your clothes you have to take showers in the dark you eat in the dark you know, it gets hot, it's sticky in Texas, and the mosquitoes have come out like a plague out of the Bible. I mean, you just get carried away by these things. It's just been so bad. But you know what? There are people down here who are suffering far worse than we are, and yet I struggle through this. How selfish I am. So pray for me. But more importantly, pray for the families who are devastated by this, who've lost everything. I can tell you, our neighbor, just, just diagonal from our house, 
In the middle of the night, their house burned down, burned to the ground. 2.30 in the morning, we were up, out in the street. The place was ablaze. The sky was red. This was the biggest fire I had ever seen. It gives the Texas A&M bonfires a run for its money. It was scary. The noise, the eerie sounds that came out of this fire I mean, I just can't begin to describe. All I could do was pray that those people made it out alive. In fact, it was a a son who owns the house and his mother living there. And the son had gone back in the house to save his belongings and was locked into one of the rooms. Can you imagine? That only happens at that critical time when your life hangs in the balance. But praise God, he was got he, they got him out. But he did suffer quite a bit of uh, smoke inhalation. He was in the hospital the whole next day trying to recover. Now that family has nothing. They survived the storm. They went through the cleanup. They were trying to make their way through without having any power. And now they have nothing. It's all gone. It's fleeting. Our possessions. Like a thief in the night, we must be prepared, huh? So pray for all these folks. Pray for these people in Galveston whose houses were wiped off the face of the earth. I mean, we've seen this time and time again in Katrina. We've seen this in the tsunamis. And it's just, we have to be diligent. We have to be prepared. We have to be ready. And as the faithful, the church militant, let's pray. Let's pray for these people. Let's help them. Let's reach out and be a good neighbor. The Good Samaritan as our Lord commands us to be. Hopefully I can overcome my own selfishness. And, oh, you know, I've shared time and time again how bad I I hate waiting in traffic or lines. Let me tell you something. You've not seen lines until you've been in a hurricane where the traffic lights have been blown away and they still can't get them back on now two weeks later. Oh, man. It's a practice in humility and a practice in patience. God is humbling me. Unfortunately, everybody around me has to just sit through it while God humbles me. But so that's kind of what's been going on lately. But I had to take the last four weeks off. I mean, just preparing for the Dallas-Fort Worth Conference was such an immense task, and I really wanted to make sure that things were going to go well. I just didn't have the time to devote to the podcast, so I sincerely appreciate your patience and living through this drought and still listening and subscribing and leaving uh, reviews and sending me voicemails. And I just can't begin to thank you enough for that support. It really does. Uh, mean a lot to me. So thank you so much. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to leave a review on iTunes. That is one of the biggest ways that people even discover this podcast. And maybe for the first time we'll ever hear anything about the Catholic Church. I can't tell you. Go on iTunes and all you're going to see is, is Protestant you know, podcasts by and large. We need to get these Catholic podcasts higher up in the standings. And there's only one way to do that. Subscribe and leave reviews. So send it to your friends. Ask your friends and your family members to subscribe and leave reviews to all the Catholic podcasts that you know. That is something that you can do right now to help evangelize. So praise God and amen. I would love to hear from you. So please give me a call at 713-568-6277. That's 713-568-6277. And let me know what you think. Let me know what's going on in your life. You know, we've got a lot of material, you know, to cover, to share with you. I have interviews that I haven't even shared with you yet that have been recorded now for months. And uh, that's a, a sore on my side, too. 
I feel almost ashamed of the fact that I haven't gotten those out yet. So pray for me that I'll be more diligent with my time and and producing these podcasts and getting you some great material, more meaty material that we can all dive deep together and learn the truth and the beauty of our Catholic faith. Looking forward to hearing from you. Stop by the blog at www.catholichack.com. And until next time, may God richly bless you. God bless. SQPN, the best in Catholic podcasting.